<laughs> I know we have Ish on the sign, but five minutes in, it's really kind of pushing it. Uh, welcome, everybody. Welcome to Bucure Baptist Church. Um, if no one said hi to you yet, my name's Alex. Hi. Welcome. Um, I see a couple folks visiting, uh, especially if you're here for the financial conference. Thank you so much for joining us this morning um, and making us a part of your brief time in New Orleans. Uh, a few announcements. Uh, the first one on January 28th. So we are one of our nearest geographical neighboring churches is called Harvest Church, and they meet at Phyllis Wheatley School in Trimmate. And on January 28th, from 10 to 1, they are hosting, uh, it's called a Conversation on Race. Um, and so they're going to be talking through some of the tough issues that we um, go through here in our country and with our history on just racial divides and especially the idea of racial unity that we see all throughout Scripture where every tribe and nation uh, come together and, and praise the Lord who is king of all the nations, right, and not just our own. So if you want to take part in that in that conversation, I think I, I trust Harvest to do it very well um, because I know this is something that's on Andrew's heart. Andrew's the pastor there. Uh, so come come join them January 28th, uh, and I believe it's at Phyllis Wheatley. Um, so we've got that announcement. Uh, also, uh, small groups are starting uh, starting back this week. I say starting back uh, because Tuesday night we, we didn't really do anything. So Tuesday and Wednesday this week, small groups um, at 6 p.m. The Tuesday night group's at my house, so if you want to join, just come talk to me about that. The Wednesday night group is at 6 o'clock here at the church. So if you live or work in this area, if you'll still be here, you can come join us at 6 o'clock. Uh, one special part about this Wednesday is that we'll have food. So how about that, huh? Yeah, I forgot to tell our pastors, other pastors. About that. Um, yeah, we'll have food this Wednesday. So there's a, a mission team. So this is not a staff meeting. There's a mission team uh, that's coming in on Wednesday. And they're going to do food for uh, anyone who gathers. Um, so y'all feel free to come join us in that. And then uh, this Friday, we are doing our usual, every Friday we open up our doors and let folks in our community uh, who are experiencing homelessness or hurting uh, have a meal, take a shower. Uh, that is rolling this Friday. If you want to take part in that, if you need any of those services or if you want to volunteer or however you want to take part, come talk to me or talk to Phil really about that and we can find a space for you. Um, I also want, y'all be praying for um, Rachel. She had a rough day yesterday, and she can tell you why she wants to. But um, any other things that we are thinking about, praying about, announcing, really glad to see Miss June here, who's been sick and, and out from that. Anything else that we can pray for as our community? Mama wasn't, she woke up dizzy and stuff this morning. She was going to try to come, so she's not doing well. Yeah, yeah, and I know, we, Jeremy, we've been praying for you with some of your health stuff going on. Um, Man, I am so looking forward to a restored earth where there is no sickness and we are all together. Um, well, let us pray and we'll begin this morning. Father God, Lord, you are omnipresent, so you're with us always to the end of the age, Lord. But we ask you to come join us this morning. God, in your spirit and in truth, Lord, that you would change our hearts and minds this morning. God, that you would sanctify us. Lord, that you would save us. Lord, that you would forgive us. God, we are desperately, desperately in need of you this morning, whether or not we realize it. God, everything in our lives that we want to see done, that we really need to be done, Lord, we are utterly and completely dependent upon you to do it. Lord, so please come, just as you came, and incarnated on earth, God, please come into our lives, uh, even though we do not deserve you, God, even though we do not always welcome you, Lord, please come this morning. Um, Lord, and we pray this morning as you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. A kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Morning, everyone. Happy first Sunday in the season of Epiphany. 
And we're going to take a few moments to read and listen to God's word together and to respond together in prayer. And in this season of Epiphany that we are entering, our readings are going to be primarily focused around the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, or what it looks like when the light of God comes into the world. Throughout the season of Advent in particular, and all throughout the year, we recognize our need for God to come into the world. We recognize our need for, for hope and peace and joy and love that is beyond our capacity, that is beyond our understanding, that is beyond our imagining. And in the season of Epiphany, we take a good hard look at what that looks like when it happens. And we talk during, um, especially Ascension Sunday and Christ the King Sunday, that it's not just good news that there is a powerful God who is king. It's that it is this God. It is that it is this Christ who is king, the one who came to live among us, the one who loves us and cares for us and shows us every day through his life and his ministry what God's love looks like, who God is, what our hope is placed in, and how we too are to live. So we're going to start this morning as Jesus started his ministry by focusing on his baptism, his obedience to God, and God's great love for him. So whoever has our first reading, Mr. Joshua, would you please read for us? Yes. Good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning. I'll be reading from the book of Isaiah, chapter 42, verses 1 through 9. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him, and will bring forth justice to the nations. And when I cry, I lift up his voice, and make it heard in the streets. The bruised reed he will not break, and the dimly burning with wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth the justice, and when I grow faint, will be crushed, until he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his keeping. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it, and the spirit to those who walk in. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes of the blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prisons to those who, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to idols. Beautiful things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, Please respond by reading the bold lines together. See, the former things have come to pass, and new things God now declares. Before they spring forth, God speaks to us now. Acts 10, 34-43, when Peter began to speak to them, I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. A mess that message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. How he went above he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses, and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness through his name. This is the good news. Jesus joins us in the tumultuous waters of our lives. You are God's beloved children. May we worship and love our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Uh, Matthew 3, 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting, and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Please pray with us. Lord God, you revealed your Son in the waters of the Jordan and anointed him with the power of the Holy Spirit to proclaim good news to all people. Sanctify us by the same Spirit, that we may proclaim the healing power of the Gospel by acts of love in your name. standing as you're able to, to worship together. Oh, 
if you will, to Matthew chapter 3. Uh, if you want a Bible, it's a brief passage today. I don't think it made it to the screens. If you want a Bible, just raise your hand, and I'm sure someone will bring one to you. I don't plan that ahead of time. I'm just fairly confident it'll happen. Um, I wanted to spend a little time, now that we are out of Christmas tide, uh, with, with our sermon, just talking about where we are going next, and to Lift the veil a little bit. We are talking about Apocalypse and Revelation last week. Uh, lift the veil a little bit on some of the planning that we, uh, your ministers, your servants, have done for this year. So I, I want you to think about Sunday morning like a table. This is a biblical image. Uh, it's a table set out in the church. And a standing invitation. Every Sunday, the servants of God try to lay the table. Sometimes... Metaphorically, sometimes literally with good things to nourish anyone who will come. The unique part about this table, though, this family, is that everyone is invited. Because at the table of Christ, cups overflow, and bread and fish multiply, and we have more than enough for anyone who would decide to come in the city. In Christ's words to his people come beautifully through Christ to Peter. He says, feed my sheep. In our sermons and in our songs and our prayers and our lessons and games with the children in running slides, Phil, thank you for filling in this morning and cleaning and everything that we do. We are trying to invite you to come and be nourished by Christ, who is the bread and the wine. Come taste and see that the Lord is good. This is the last week we're planning to follow the lectionary readings for a while until Easter. In between that time, I want to share with you some things Christ has been teaching me about what it means, what it means to be a Christian. Starting today, talking about baptism. Over the past three years, I've been a pastor here. I was really hoping that God would teach me how to be a better pastor. Um, and I'm sure some people in the congregation were also hoping for that over the past three years. Um, but instead, what he has actually taught me is how to be merely Christian. Christianity is more than just belief. 
And following Christ is more than just learning about the Bible. I, I want to spend some time really digging into Christian disciplines, Christian relationships, practices, and communities. When I exegete our culture, I mean, when I, I look at what's going on around me in the world, I think most of us who claim to follow Christ have spent a lot of time defending our beliefs, um, but less time maybe developing our practices and especially developing our Christian communities. I, I work with uh, churches in our whole area, and something I hear over and over and over again is our church is really struggling with community. And I think there's a reason for that. We talk a lot about orthodoxy, but we have forgotten in many ways our orthopraxy. And we need to recover it before we prove ourselves faithless, not by abandoning our core beliefs, but by neglecting what Jesus calls, and I quote, the weightier matters of the law in Matthew 23, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These, Jesus says, you ought to have done without neglecting the others, end quote. Over the past three years, there's been a lot I've learned and a lot I have unlearned, and I want to bring you into all of that. So that's where we're headed first this year. Um, related to that series, we are also planning a series on biblical justice. Uh, frankly, this one's a little self-serving. I keep being asked to talk on this topic, and I need to put some ideas together. Um, but I do, you know, justice is one of the things which makes us Christian, which is meant to define Christian communities. I say biblical justice because there is a kind of worldly justice being shouted from megaphones and microphones in our time, and we need to instead hear the still, small voice of God in the midst of the noise. Mostly this will be a series through the Old Testament Levitical laws, which I know can be something that's difficult to study on your own, so I'm hoping that we can together learn more about the meaning of these passages. Uh, all, summer, all summer last year I was teaching a group of college students working with our church through a program called Gen Send about biblical justice, and it was a deeply, incredibly beneficial topic, I think, for all of us. And I'm hoping it will benefit the church in the same way. Uh, three other topics are on the docket for this year and next year. We are hoping to do a series on Job and one on Romans. Um, I don't think we're going to be able to do both of those in this one year. Uh, John Piper took 10 years. I'm not planning to spend 10 years on the book of Romans, but we are going to start there uh, because we have spent so much time in the Old Testament. I think it will be good to uh, switch to gospel readings for a while. Uh, so that will be at, after Easter in ordinary time. We may take the whole 33 weeks, but uh, we'll see when we get there. Uh, the other series, this is the last bit of planning I'm going to do, the other series that we are looking at either at the end of this year, before Advent, or in next year around this time, is uh, a series through the Minor Prophets, um, or what are called the Minor Prophets, or the Book of the Twelve. So this is uh, the major message, the major themes and images that are given to us in these tiny little minor books that are so easy to look past, but really we ought not. Um, the only other thing I wanted to say uh, in this time, one of my goals for this year is to decouple small groups from the sermon content, and that is just a way of putting more scripture into our lives and into our hearts. Uh, so we're going to stay focused on prayer in those times, but in the uh, discussion times, uh, Marlena was concerned, you can still ask questions about the sermon. You are still allowed to doubt and question everything and ask. Uh, we will still do that in small groups, but uh, in some of that time, we're really going to dig into what God is speaking to us in and through his word, just by going through specific books of the Bible. Is anyone else excited about what God is able to do through a called and sanctified community of people devoted to prayer, scripture, and loving each other, and loving God, and following Christ in his way. Because I am extraordinarily excited for this next year. And I am so grateful to be a part of this church and everything God is doing in and through it. But, enough planning. If you know me, I hate planning. I often neglect it to the detriment of the church and everyone else. Uh, so, enough of planning today. And um, I was struck recently, I reread the screw tape letters, and he talks about this, but... Uh, Imagined futures are filled with the anxieties and the plans of man, and they are that is the most human period of time because the present and the past are all lit up with the unimaginable light of eternity. And so today, let's sit at Jesus' feet. So go with me, Matthew chapter 3. We're going to start reading in verse 13 and then go through verse 17. 
Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for it. Pray with me briefly. Father God, I, I pray as I always do, Lord, that you would show us your truth in your word today. God, that you would make my words your words because you are the one we need to hear from this morning, God, because your truth will set us free and we desperately long to be free. I pray this in Jesus' name so we know you hear us. Amen. I want to start with the meaning of baptism in general and then move on to talking about the meaning of Jesus being baptized in this passage and how that has changed and established this practice in his church forever. But we're going to start just talking about baptism in general because, again, we are starting to enter into a series on what it means to be Christian, what, what makes us Christian as individuals and as a group, as a church. The first thing you should know is that baptism didn't start with John. But as you might expect from a dude who ate locusts, John's baptism was a little different. <laughs> Judaism at the time, as today, is, is filled with ritual washings. You might remember the foot washing at Passover or the Pharisees complaining to Jesus that he and his disciples did not wash enough. Um, but what set John's baptism apart from these is that he was bringing people all the way out to the desert, which is significant in the history of the people of God, and dunking their whole body under the water, calling it a baptism, a ritual washing of repentance. And this washing was meant to last a person a lifetime, instead of just the course of a meal. It's a practice which the church has since this moment seen as central to the practice of Christianity. Even here in America, among Protestant denominations, ever the iconoclasts we are, this is a ritual we have kept, and most of us have even defined ourselves by it, calling ourselves, like our church, Baptists, right? It is an issue that has caused a lot of division. It's an issue that we need to talk about because this is part of what makes us Christian. So we're going to talk about it this morning. Why? What does baptism do, and what does it mean? I, I will start by admitting some things to you and confessing some things to you. Uh, because my relationship to this particular Christian practice has been a bit rocky. Uh, when I became a Christian as a young teenager, I, I didn't get baptized right away. In fact, I waited about 12 years. I was already in seminary. I was already training to become a pastor at the time in which I finally obeyed God in baptism. At first, when I realized I needed to repent of sin and be saved, I was embarrassed because I had been baptized when I was a kid and had been in church my whole life. This wasn't infant baptism. This was a six-year-old who could answer every question correctly and therefore confuse the pastors at his church and who had an older brother he idolized who was also getting baptized. I didn't do any of the things Christians weren't supposed to do in my town. I was afraid to tell people that I, who had carefully cultivated looking so good on the outside, had actually been acting my faith the whole time, especially since I knew the Greek word for acting is hypocrite. <laughs> <laughs> I was a hypocrite. None of it was real. It was self-righteousness and pride that they had been seeing, uh, not faith. And I rightly saw my self-righteousness as disgusting. So I was embarrassed to admit my sin. Now that I could see it, I was able to admit it to Jesus in prayer, in weeping, but not to my friends or my family. And so I did not pursue baptism at that time. And then when I was older, I wasn't worried so much at, about admitting that I was one of the sinners. I gratefully, the Lord brought me to a place where I could admit that, that I was not one of the pious. But I didn't see the point of getting baptized at that point. This is maybe about 10 years after 
I was actually saved. I had heard all of my life that baptism was an outward expression of an inward change. And through high school and college, my faith was just very real and a very big part of my life. And so I figured anyone who knew me at all knew I was a Christian. So why be baptized? What was the point? Then, after I was already in seminary and working for a church, two things happened which caused me to start taking a very close look at baptism and thinking a lot about it and what it means and what possibly it does. The first thing that happened was the church I was working for, so I was working for a church, uh, they found out that I had not been baptized as a believer. And I think their intentions were good. I will give them that. But looking back on it now, I really have a lot of regrets in this. Uh, they pressured me to get baptized. And before I had really thought it all the way through, I was baptized a second time, this time as a believer. And here's where my thoughts on baptism get really complicated. And where I'll start asking the questions that are in my heart, to be honest with you this morning, as honest as I can be, instead of making statements I do believe it's biblical to be baptized by immersion and as a penitent. I see that in John's baptism. I just doubt the value of being exactly right. I have taken communion before with leavened bread, and the death of Christ was still proclaimed. Do things that aren't quite right mean nothing? And isn't rebaptism a rejection of the meaning of whatever came before, even if it wasn't exactly right? I don't know the answers here. Uh, we can talk about it in small groups. If you are dead set on your answers and you want me to confuse you, I, I will gladly do so. Um, we can talk about it in small group. small group. Our church's policy, if you're wondering, is that church membership depends upon baptism, but merely a Christian baptism. The second thing that happened, remember there were two things that really kind of set me spinning on this. The second thing that happened was that my wife, Annie, and I had applied to work as inter international missionaries. Uh, which had been a lifelong dream and goal of mine, and we were rejected by the IMB because of her baptism. Uh, she was baptized as a believer in the Methodist church, so she was sprinkled. And they told us that we couldn't move forward unless we had her baptized again, fully immersed. But having recently gone through what in my heart was a similar experience and really regretting my motivations and being baptized as I did, if not regretting the actual baptism, I counseled her and we agreed not to have her rebaptized. And in the aftermath of that decision, one of my professors told me that if I weren't willing to abide by the distinctives of the denomination, in his opinion, I should pay my scholarship money back to the seminary and leave ministry altogether, which hurt. And those two things together made me feel unwanted and out of place. I don't know if anyone else has ever felt like that in church. Through those experiences, I learned several things about what baptism means and what it does in our lives. One, I learned that it's more than a mere expression outwardly of an inward faith. Hear me, baptism is an expression of faith. Martin Luther calls it a gospel message enacted, but it's more than that. I would argue this is not merely an expression of our faith, but it is also a practicing of our faith. This is part of what makes us Christian. It's like communion, but unlike communion, we are meant to practice baptism only once. Because baptism means that we are adopted by God and will be raised again. It marks our entrance into his family. And as a foster parent, the most meaningful way I have to say this is, our Father does not send kids back, no matter how badly in our pain and brokenness we act out. Again, if we look at our passage, the main thing that's different about John's baptism from the other ritual washings that were common in that day is that John's Baptism, and I would argue the Christian church's baptism, is a baptism of repentance. That's why John is dunking people completely underwater, and Meg hinted at it a little bit earlier. But this is a symbol of death, but it's not just a symbol of death. He's burying them in the water, but dying like that in the water, in that part of the world at this time, that was considered not just to be a death, but it was considered to be an ultimate curse. That and hanging on a tree. If you die that way, people considered you to be cursed by God and irredeemable. John's baptism carried with it a cultural message that we miss in our culture, that we are dying and unclean and cursed unless God cleanses us. The Pharisees are washing themselves to show how righteous they are. John was baptizing people in order to admit to everyone that they were deeply sinful and in need of grace. 
John's baptism was reconciling people back to communion with God and back into true community. Because as Diedrich Bonhoeffer points out in his book, Life Together, every one of us makes a choice. Every day we make this choice between loneliness and living alone in our sin or confession. We make that choice every day. We either confess that we too are sinners in need of forgiveness or we sit alone in our sin because we are all, in reality, deeply broken and sinful. Confession is the only path into communion with God and community inside the church. So, to judge my past self, I believe I was right in high school. You see, I wanted to be religious and look good and gain the respect of my peers, and I was right that getting baptized would have ruined all of that. Christian baptism is a baptism of repentance. It requires that you admit just how sinful you are. It's you admitting that you are sinful and all of your good deeds aren't helping your situation. Paraphrasing Lewis, if you make a sinner into a Pharisee, you have not helped him at all. You need Christ to purge you and make you clean. I was right in high school that baptism would have been a confession of my sinfulness and pride, but I was wrong in college when I thought it wouldn't matter because everyone already knew I was a Christian because, again, baptism isn't just a confession of sin and a proclamation that you are saved. It is also a proclamation of the gospel and a means of grace in your life and in the life of your community. Ironically, one of the best things I've ever read on baptism was a fierce and very rude treatise against many of the things that I actually believe. Uh, Martin Luther, the reformer, in a work titled, lovingly, Against the Anabaptists, <laughs> uh, talks beautifully, beautifully, he says, about using his baptism, which is not something I had ever thought of before I read this. He told a story about what he calls a, quote, dark night of his soul. I don't know if any of you have been there when you have made a mistake and you have really hurt yourself or someone you love and you just can't get past it you can't get over it for me the the scene loops over and over again in my head Um, you're imagining the conversation that might make it better over and over again thinking about anything that might make the situation better on one of those nights he said he would use his baptism and call it to mind and remember that god had forgiven his sins and that guilt is no more God himself had taken the curse symbolized in baptism and lifted us up to live in grace. He said he would use his baptism as a means of not falling into despair to which he was prone his whole life. A means of remembering that he is God's son and that God will not leave him alone in his sin and suffering, but will instead plunge into the curse and into the waters. I want you to notice Jesus Christ is the only person who did not belong in the Jordan River that day. John knows it. Verse 14 says, John tried to prevent Jesus from getting into the water. Didn't make sense. Hmm. Jesus had no sin. And this was a baptism of repentance, plunging fully underwater to acknowledge the curse that was common to humanity but was not found in Christ. It's an admission that you are one of the damaged people vulnerable and in need. So why does Jesus get baptized? He says in the passage, it is to fulfill all righteousness. And that word fill is the same one that we saw in Isaiah just a couple weeks ago, where Isaiah talked about righteousness filling the earth as water fills the seas. You're right if you think that Jesus did not need to be baptized like this. He did not need to confess anything. He did not need to be forgiven. Jesus doesn't need to be baptized, but we desperately need Jesus to be baptized. In this moment, he is doing the same thing we have been celebrating all through Christmas time. It is a further incarnation. He is intentionally entering into the curse of humanity in order to redeem it. Jesus' baptism gives meaning to our own. Jesus doesn't need to enter into baptism just like he didn't need to enter into humanity. Just like he doesn't need his people, his church, to enter into the pain of the world. And he doesn't need his church to care for the vulnerable. He does not 
He's not doing this because he has to. He's doing this because he loves us. And if he does not enter into our curse, the curse would cover us and we would drown in the waters and in the overwhelm of our own sins and sorrows. There would be no coming up out of the water. In Jesus' baptism, he enters into the story of God's people as they pass through the waters of the Red Sea and wander into the desert. I don't know if you've noticed the parallels between the Exodus story and Jesus in this passage where he passes through the waters, wanders in the desert. This is all after an escape into Egypt. Jesus' baptism enters him into the story of God's people. And in his baptism, he enters into their story, he enters into our story in order to redeem it. Because Christ entered into the curse of sin, because he did that, God speaks over us the same words that he speaks over Jesus on this day. That this is my son, this is my daughter, he is beloved, she is beloved, and I am well pleased. So if you, like me, struggle with the shame of admitting your own sinfulness, I am inviting you this morning, the invitation this morning is to enter into the waters. Maybe you've already been baptized, but then, like Martin Luther, use your baptism. Enter into the waters. The choice is this, again. The choice is this. You can admit that you are a real sinner in need of grace and enter into communion with God and true community in the church, or you can live alone in your sin which, having done it, is not a fate I would wish on anyone. Put your faith in Christ and be baptized in his name. Or maybe you need to begin trusting the words spoken over you at your baptism and know that even in the dark nights of your soul, that in Christ you are still a child of a king, and he is well pleased with you. You might not have gone so far that he will not. You, you have not gone so far that he will not come to you. He entered into the hurt of this world so you could breathe again above the water of everything that threatens to overwhelm us. In him, as Meg always says in our liturgies, you are forgiven, you are welcomed, you are loved. This morning, again, I would invite you into the waters. This is part of what it means to be Christian, recognizing both that you are broken and you are loved both at the same time, both to a degree that you really can't comprehend. Pray with me now. Father God, as a pastor, if you had asked me to baptize you that day, I hope I would have refused you, Lord, but as a human being, so often mired in sin and guilt, God, I beg of you, to come into our waters, God, to come into our pain and our misery, Lord, so that we're not alone in them. God, and bring each of us into the river as well to be with people who are hurting and in pain. God, we desperately need you to come alongside us and lift us up in these times that we are fallen. God, thank you for being the kind of king who comes down off of his throne, God, and enters into the pain and hurt of humanity. God, we praise you for your baptism. God, and for the invitation for us to participate with you in this forgiveness and in this belovedness. God, I pray all these things in Jesus' name, so we know you hear us. Amen. Amen. I would invite you to respond in whatever way you feel moved. Uh, we have these kneelers up at the front. I will also be in the back of the church if you want to pray with me or, or you can pray with your neighbor. You can just pray where you're at, where you can stand and sing.
If you will, please stand and join me in singing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and peace to love and serve the Lord.